Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Hey, Hope Brooklyn. My name is Ryan Diaz. I'm on the pastoral team here, and I am so excited to be with you this Sunday morning as we dive into God's Word and start a new series. But before we do that, let's take some time to pray. Let's take some, some time to open our hearts and get ready to hear God's Word so that His Word might fall on good soil here this morning. Why don't you pray along with me this prayer? Oh Lord Jesus Christ, open the eyes of our hearts that we may hear your Word and understand and do your will. For we are sojourners upon the earth. Hide not your commandments from us, but open our eyes that we may perceive the wonders of your law. Speak unto us the hidden and secret things of your wisdom. On you do we set our hope, that you shall enlighten our minds and understanding with the light of your knowledge, not only to cherish those things which are written, but to do them that in reading the lives and sayings of the saints we may not sin, but that such may serve for our restoration, enlightenment, and sanctification, and for the salvation of our souls and the inheritance of life everlasting. For you are the enlightenment of those who lie in darkness, and from you comes every good deed and every gift. Amen. Today we're starting a new series. Um, We were in the past few weeks in August and July, We're in a series entitled Jesus With Us, where we track the last 40 days Jesus kind of met with his disciples after his resurrection and learned what it meant for Jesus to be with us in the most sensitive and dire moments of our lives, what it means for Jesus to be with us in our shame, what it means for Jesus to be with us in our pain. And then we kind of began to transition and began to examine what it's meant for Jesus's presence to challenge us and to empower us. And Greg preached a phenomenal sermon last week where he talked about what it means for for Jesus to empower us for mission. And now it begs the question, what is that mission? What is that thing that Jesus is calling us to do? What is the mission of the church? And how does that manifest in the life of Hope Brooklyn and the life of us as individual believers? And so today we're starting a three-part series where we're going to examine Jesus's earthly ministry so that we might understand the church's vocation. And, you know, historically, Jesus's mission has been understood in the guise of, of three offices. See, in ancient Israel, those who were anointed prophets, priests, and kings were called anointed ones, messiahs. And they served as a foreshadow to whom Jesus was going to be. Jesus was going to be a prophet, a teacher. Jesus was going to be a king. And Jesus was going to be our great high priest. And so Jesus' earthly ministry can be understood as a priestly ministry, a prophetic ministry, and a kingly ministry. And by understanding these three offices, we actually can come to understand what it means for the church to live and act in the world. The Heidelberg Catechism summarizes it like this, because he has been ordained by God the Father, the he being Jesus, and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher. 
who reveals perfectly to us the secret counsel and will of God for our deliverance. He's our only high priest who has set us free by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually pleads our cause with the Father. And he's our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who guards us and keeps us in his freedom he has won for us. And so this summary of Christ's three offices helps paint a picture for what Christ was doing when he was present with us and what he's still doing as the resurrected king. And so by understanding that Jesus is a prophet, he's a priest, he's a king, we can then in turn learn what it means for the church to adopt these vocations as their own. See, the church, the church's ministry has always followed the ministry of Jesus. And the ministry of Jesus is both the subject of the church's vocation and the substance of the church's vocation. That means we preach and proclaim what Jesus has done, but our ministry is also informed by his own ministry. And we do ministry and we go about our mission based on what Jesus has already done before us. We continue that mission as the body of Christ. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about the church's vocations and its mission in the world. See, the church serves as a prophetic voice in a fallen world. The church serves as an intercessor for those disconnected from God. And lastly, the church also serves as a model for wide stewardship in God's good creation. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at it. What does it mean for the church to be a prophetic voice? What does it mean for the church to be intercessors, interceding for a broken world? And lastly, what does it mean for the church to model wise stewardship in a broken, fallen world? And today we're going to focus on the first one, the church's prophetic ministry. What does it mean for the church to be a prophetic voice in the world? So to do this, we have to understand the Old Testament context of prophets. See, I think a lot of times when we hear prophet or prophetic, we immediately think of people predicting the future. And that's actually a mixed mischaracterization of the Old Testament prophets. They did far more than just predict the future. And oftentimes when we think of them, we kind of think of them more as like fortune tellers or soothsayers. And that's not what they did. They were mouthpieces. They were oracles. They were people called by God, sent to the people of God to proclaim the word of God. Famous Old Testament scholar Willem A. Van Gemmeren says this, The prophets of the Old Testament were ministers of God's word and expressed in poetic form the vision of God, his kingdom, the messianic age of Shalom, the work of the spirit, and the transformation of creation and humanity. The prophets spoke in time, so not just about the future, they spoke in time, but also they spoke out of time. This is a way of saying they spoke to the people's present condition, but also speak to the people of God to come, us, the church. They announced the coming of the kingdom of the Lord, the judgment, and the transformation of creation. The Old Testament prophets weren't just soothsayers. They weren't just fortune tellers. They were mouthpieces for God to his people. 
And so if that's the role of the Old Testament prophet, then we have to understand how Jesus is fulfilling that archetype, that Jesus is also a prophet who's coming to the people to proclaim the word of God on behalf of God. And by understanding the Old Testament prophet as someone speaking to the people of God, recalling them to covenant faithfulness in light of their unfaithfulness, then we too can understand what Jesus was doing on the earth in his prophetic role. It says this in St. Matthew's Gospel. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulon, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, that phrase, repent, Jesus' message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, encapsulates Jesus' prophetic ministry. That Jesus' prophetic ministry was twofold. First, it was to call a rebellious, wayward people to repentance, and then it was to offer those people hope. When Jesus arrives on the scene, his job is to challenge the Israel of his day. The Israel of his day was corrupt. It was misguided. It was dealing with political and internal strife. And so Jesus had to figure out, if I'm going to be God's word to these people, then Jesus had not a word that was a word of repentance. He had to get into the people's lives and call them to real repentance. But Jesus couldn't stop there. His job was not just to be a doom and gloom prophet. He offer, had to offer them hope. And so he offered them the hope of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that in his arrival, God's kingdom was drawing near and was breaking in on the world. And so Jesus figured out how to hold these two things in tension. He would call the people to repentance and then immediately tell them, hey, listen, you need to repent. Why? Because the hope you have long awaited for is here. And so for you to participate in that hope requires you to repent and get in line with God's promise. Project, the kingdom of God. And so this twofold dimension of Jesus's prophetic role, we see it throughout his ministry. We see it in his challenge of the Pharisees and his blessings of the poor. We see it in his exorcism of demons and his call for people to sin no more. We see it in his healing and in his establishment of a new Sabbath. Jesus's prophetic ministry called an unfaithful Israel to repentance while offering the hope of his new kingdom that he was inaugurating through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And so as a result, when we consider the church's prophetic role, the church also has a two-pronged approach to its prophetic witness. That for the church to be a fully Christian voice in the world, the church must proclaim a gospel of repentance and a gospel of hope. It is the church's job to be the moral voice of society. 
It is the church's job to witness to a broken world and call the broken world to repentance. It is the church's job to highlight injustices and call for the renewal of broken systems of power. It's the church's job to stand in the gap between saint and sinner and call both to deeper communion with God. It's the church's job to provide heal, a place of healing for sin and brokenness. It's the church's job to proclaim repentance because it is through repentance that people get access to the hope of the kingdom. And so that means the church cannot just proclaim repentance. The church must also proclaim the hope of the kingdom, that God's kingdom has arrived with force and that through Jesus and through the power of the spirit, the the church is marching forward as an advanced signpost of what Jesus is doing in the world. And so the church proclaims repentance. And yet as it proclaims repentance and, and, and calls people to grapple with the reality of their brokenness, it also offers a hope that their brokenness can be made whole, that their sickness can be healed, that their addictions can be broken, that their mindsets can be renewed, that the unjust power systems can be made right, that creation can be made whole. And so the church, like Jesus has to hold intention. It's call to call people to repentance and it's call to call people to hope. In every age, the church has to adjust. See, in every age, the church can be guilty of excess and exaggeration. In other words, in some ages of the church, the church focuses just on repentance or it focuses just on hope. And the reality is you need both. And so to pick one over the other, to pr privilege repentance over hope or hope over repentance is to preach a half gospel and to weaken the church's prophetic voice. The church needs to speak to the culture with the whole counsel of God. It needs to say, repent and the kingdom of heaven is near. It needs to say, confront your sin and await the restoration of creation. This is what it means for the church to have a prophetic witness. You see, if we proclaim repentance without hope, we end up with a gospel that reframes salvation as moral perfection and mischaracterizes, mischaracterizes God as a vindictive judge. And if we proclaim hope without repentance, we end up with a feel-good gospel that turns a blind eye to social ills and offers a therapeutic vision of God who neither challenges nor confronts our sin. And so if the church wants to maintain its prophetic witness in the world, it must be a people. It must be a, a group of people who constantly proclaim both repentance and hope. Repentance that we must grapple with the reality of sin and death, but hope that that sin and death has been dealt with. And God is going about doing a new thing. And like St. Julian of Norwich says, all shall be well. All shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And so the church has to occupy this space. In our preaching, in our ministry, in our gathering, we must be constantly proclaiming repentance and hope. And this doesn't just mean the church as some amorphous whole, this, this kind of abstract thing called the church. This also means individual believers are called to have a prophetic witness. And what does that mean? It means we are called to live lives of repentance and hope. See, often the church's prophetic voice is dampered when it's 
Christians don't live out a prophetic witness. When we don't embrace repentance, which requires radical humility, and we don't embrace hope, which requires a complete reshaping of how we view the world, we fail to live out the very prophetic hope we proclaim. And so we as individual Christians have to figure out how to live as people of repentance and how to live as people of hope. And what does this mean? It means we embrace the way of Jesus. It means we too exist as suffering servants. It means we deal with the reality of our own brokenness. It means that our personal restoration, dealing with our brokenness, our unhealthy habits matters. It means that when we face suffering, we have to view it fundamentally through a different lens than the rest of the world. It means when we face hardship, we, we respond differently Not inhumanly, like we don't deal with sadness or pain, but we respond categorically differently that our sadness and pain in response to suffering isn't the end, but it's undergirded by radical trust in our Savior. And if the church wants to witness well in the world, see, a prophetic voice is often a countercultural voice. It was a voice that challenged the status quo. And if the church wants to do that in the 21st century, then its people must live lives that challenge the status quo. And how do we challenge the status quo? By living repentant lives and and living lives rooted in the hope of new creation. Being a Christian and having a prophetic witness is living as if the new creation has already arrived. It's taking the, what Christ has already, not, already done and what Christ will do and living as if the totality of those things has already arrived. It's living as if Jesus does actually rule and reign. Why? Because he does. And if we're going to witness to a broken world, if we're going to speak prophetically to our world, then it requires us to live the countercultural way of Jesus, a way of repentance and a way of hope. And as a church, Hope Brooklyn, how are we going to do this? Well, as we, in this new season, pray about our church and we know we, we have an amazing new lead pastor who's coming on board, we have to discern what this prophetic voice is going to look like for us in this day, age, and time. And that's what's going to require wisdom on our part. And so I invite you to pray for our church that as we pursue the way of Jesus, we would use wisdom and center our prophetic voice on the community Christ has called us to so that we can be his witnesses to this space on earth he's given us to proclaim his gospel to. And so it's going to take all of us. And so during this fast, or in the middle of a fast, for those of you who don't know, it's going to require us as we fast, God, how do you want Hope Brooklyn to be a prophetic witness? God, how do you want me to be a prophetic witness? How can Hope Brooklyn proclaim repentance and hope? And then to ask for yourself, how can I live a life of repentance and hope today? In a moment, we're going to take communion. But before that, allow me to pray for us. This is a prayer from St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make us the instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. 
to be loved as to love. For it is in the giving that we receive. It is in the pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. We're going to take communion. And so please get your elements ready. And I want to encourage you that communion, the Eucharist, is the ultimate form of prophetic witness. Because in the bread and the cup, we have both a call to repentance and a proclamation of hope. And so I encourage you, as we take these elements, let us root ourselves in what communion symbolizes, that Jesus is calling us to renew our lives, confess our sins and repent because we need him, but also that this proclamation is a proclamation that his finished work on the cross will carry us into the new creation. Let's pray. Father, as we take the bread and the cup, we say we repent. As we take the bread and the cup, we say we anchor our hope in you, for you are our source and our life and our light. Be with us as we take this meal. Empower and strengthen us through the taking of this meal. In Christ's name, amen. Please take the bread and take the cup. Hope Brooklyn, we love you.